Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. Good morning, church. It's nice to see you this morning. So our reading uh, is from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. And if you have uh, these Bibles in the pews, it's page 975. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that easily entangles. Um, let me do it again. And I'm doing this for emphasis, right? He says, let us throw off everything, not just sin, everything that hinders us and the sin that is entangles us. Amen? So therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and sin that so easily entangles And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy, uh, for the joy, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So let's collectively read verse 3, and this time, let's make it personal. Amen? So in other words, it's going to read, and I shall, or I will consider him. So collectively, let's read verse 3 and make it personal. I will consider him who endured such opposition uh, from sinners, so that I will not grow weary and lose heart. Blessings. Thanks, Alex. So we've been, uh, you might infer from that passage that Alex just read, we've been looking uh, at the idea of faith these last few weeks. And we've been talking about how faith is primarily focused on a couple of things. We started with a story of Peter that was, is pretty crazy from um, the scriptures that show when he saw Jesus in such a way that Jesus was walking on the water and Peter said to him, if it is you, God, call me out to walk with you. And so Peter does that. And we, we talked about a couple weeks ago how the, Jesus is the object of our faith. And we brainstorm together when we hear the word faith. I don't know if it's showing on the screens here. Technology problems. I'm not going to worry about it. We brainstormed together um, and shared kind of when we hear the word faith, what do we think of? And some of us, maybe depending on the the church background um, that we grew up in, we have different ideas of faith, that faith is something that we have to muster up within ourselves like some sort of superpower, that if we just think positive enough thoughts, 
then it will happen. And if we can't get to a certain percentage of thought, of right attitude, then maybe it won't happen. But we've been debunking that in recent days. And we've, as we've talked about, Jesus is the, as, as Alex just read, he is the author. He's the beginner of the faith. He's also the perfecter of faith, which means that there is, our faith is in a process. And so last week we talked about that. What are things that allow our faith to grow? Or what are things that cause our faith to die? One of the interesting things we see in Scripture is we see this, this continual kind of tension or paradox between who um, this personal relationship that we have with God, that, that he sees us as individuals, that he loves us, that because of Jesus we have direct access to God. So we can pray at any moment to God. We don't have to go through a priest or a pastor or do some sort of ritualistic things. We have that kind of personal relationship with God. But the other thing that we see in Scripture is that almost everything having to do with our life and our faith requires other people. Let me explain that to you. Think about this. We are actually, I was thinking about this as we were singing these songs, each of us here in this room are here because of this long, unbroken chain of folks that have come to faith have shared their faith with others, have discipled others in the faith for thousands of years. If it weren't for other people, none of us would be here today. At one point, we heard the message about Jesus. We responded to that message. And now, as believers, we're sharing that message with other people, and they're responding. So we see clearly Jesus alone is the author of faith. He's the object of our faith, yet... In the way that God has designed us, he has designed us to be in relationship with each other. That's why when asked, what are the two greatest commandments? Jesus responded with love God and love people. It's like 1A, 1B, right? So we can't separate those two realities. And the same thing is true in our faith. How do we grow in our faith? Well, first we, we receive the truth of who Jesus is. We place our faith in him. He's the object of our faith. But then there's this community that he puts us in. There's these people that we rub shoulders with. There's these people we bump against sometimes, right? And it's through that that our faith continues to be formed. So this is God's design. So this morning, what I want to talk about as we talk about faith is what sustains our faith. Again, in the passage that Alex just read, we heard that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the source, the foundation, and the one who will bring it to completion. That's good news because that's the primacy of our faith. It's, it ultimately does not depend on the faithfulness of others for the completion of our faith. It is completely dependent on Christ. Good news, isn't it? And so based on that, based on this, this truth, there's the key exhortation in Hebrews 12, which is to persevere. And the author of Hebrews uses running a race as a, as a type of illustration for that, to persevere. Now this is very personal to me, because yesterday I ran a race with my two oldest sons and uh, my brother-in-law, their uncle. And if you know me, you know that one of my least favorite sporting activities to do is to run. Like, uh, give me a ball? Yes. Give me an object, you know, some kind of goal to, to, 
to, to accomplish with that ball, whether it's hitting it over a net in tennis or putting it through a hoop, man, I will run like crazy with that ball. But to say, hey, Andrew, just run and then run back. And it does, you don't even have to do it with anybody. Just go ahead and do it by yourself. That's like always been my least favorite sport. Um, and so yesterday, I was a part of a, of, a, of a race that is a little bit unique. It's called a tough mudder. Has anybody heard of tough mudder? So in the tough mudder, you run 5K, which I'm convinced that the only reason we use the kilometer system like in America for, is we only do it for races for whatever reason. And I think it's just to make it sound longer, right? Because 5K is, sounds... Yes. <laughs> 5K is longer than three and a half miles, whatever, right? So anyways, we ran a 5K, but the unique part about this 5K is that throughout the race, there are obstacles that you have to conquer. And as the name infers, it's very dirty. And so at one point, um, we come to an obstacle after running a couple of miles, and it's uh, about 100 yards of barbed wire fence that you have to crawl under, like military style, in the mud, right? And you get up this hill. Um, there are mud pits that we had to cross. There was an ice plunge. And then they, to top it off at the very end, to celebrate that you've finished the race, you have to run through an electrified field where you're getting literally shocked as you run through the end. It was pretty funny, actually. <laughs> So when I was reading Hebrews 12, I was thinking of, of a race, and obviously that's not the kind of race that I think the author of Hebrews had in mind. But the, the reality of having to persevere when you are like running is tiring enough, but then having to climb over a wall or run through a mud pit or crawl on your belly for 100 yards. But for me at the end, to finish that race, to do it with my boys, to do it with my brother-in-law, there was this sense of like, whew, we did it. We accomplished it. But all along the way, at each obstacle, they give you an option. Do you want to skip this obstacle? They have a, it's called the bypass lane. And at each one, I was like, hmm, that's tempting. But we didn't do it because we wanted to be able to finish the race well. We wanted to be able to look back at the race and say, hey, we did it. We pushed through, we made it through. And so running a race is actually one of the most common sports analogies in Scripture because it requires something of us. It requires our sights to be set forward. It requires us to, to prepare and to push through and to not give up. But all along the race, there's people that are encouraging us on. There was, there was water stations so we could get what we needed to continue to take the next step. There was each other. Like, it would have been a lot less fun of a race if I wasn't there with my two boys and my brother-in-law. And so we were encouraging each other on. There were other people that were also part of the race. I didn't know these people at all. But at certain points, you could not get through an obstacle without multiple people helping you. Literally putting their hands down and lifting you over a wall, pulling you up a mud pit. And so this illustration for me definitely hits home. As we think about our faith, how we need other people. I, I love, this wasn't planned, but Laura and Roberta sharing how through serving together on Sunday mornings, they began to, to develop a bond and to be able to share the race together, to encourage each other, the daily text. What a beautiful picture that is. So 
how do we run the race well? How does, our, how does our faith continue to be sustained in times when we're tempted to give up, when we're weary and tired? I want to look at a story from Scripture that actually talks about the beginning of this community. It's found in the book of Acts chapter 2. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Acts chapter 2, towards the beginning of the New Testament. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Now, even though it's come to be a spiritually sounding word, the word church is taken from a Greek word, ekklesia, which simply means this, a gathering, an assembly. It was actually just a secular word in that time. It wasn't particularly a religious-sounding word word. In Jesus' time, it was as generic as saying like uh, a cafe or a sports team. You would then ask, well, what kind of cafe? What type of sport? So in Jesus' time, when the word church was used, it was, there, were, there had to be defining parameters for people to understand what type of gathering you were talking about. Nowadays, church tends to be associated strictly with the Christian faith, and so we have like a generic equivalent which we might say faith community. If somebody said, what, are you a part of a faith community? You'd say, yes. Well, then what would you have to do from there? What kind of faith community? And so we see the origins of the church, the beginning of the, the Christian faith community is gathered, they start to gather together. And this starts in Acts chapter two with a very distinct work of God. And so I want you to hold in tension this morning, this idea that, that faith comes from God, that Jesus is the author and perfecter of faith, but yet he gives us something, he empowers us as people of faith to continue on. And so we see this from the very beginning, the birth of the church, Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, which was a Jewish festival, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And this was the beginning of the church, a clear work of God. And really what happens after this moment is these same people, they then pour out of this building and they begin to share the gospel. They begin to share the good news of Jesus, what has changed them, and Acts records thousands of people came to faith that day. What does that mean, came to faith? It means they came to believe the message that was taught about Jesus. So the, it was a work of the Spirit through his people that starts the church. The church was born. And, and it's beautiful because in that particular city, a very multi-ethnic city, we see that it is people from all tribes and tongues. I mean, a diverse church right from the beginning. The church didn't come to be through a vote or one charismatic leader's vision. It came to be by the plan and power of God given to those who placed their faith in him. And so you and I are included in that. In that vision, in that plan, that thing that Jesus started through the power of the Holy Spirit over 2,000 years ago. 
And I love our church. We, we reflect a, a little bit of Acts. We're a multi-ethnic church. We're a faith-following church. And that's what was true right from the start. You know, I was thinking about it. Last week, we looked at this guy named Thomas, who often people call him what? Doubting Thomas, right? Because he doubted whether Jesus had barely been resurrected or not. And so we saw Jesus meet him in his doubts. And what? He reignited his faith. And Thomas responds with, oh, Lord and God, you are real. Thomas was a part of this. He was a part of this ignition of the church. And what a, what a lot of people don't know is that Thomas then becomes a radical missionary for the early church. By all accounts, historians believe that Thomas then left Jerusalem and traveled to the country of India as the first person to proclaim the gospel in the country of India. It would have taken him at least a couple of months, if not longer, probably longer, by foot to make it to India. I've actually sat with Indian Christians who have said to me that they believe they are a Christian in, that, in the line of Thomas, that their great, 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 great grandparents were given the gospel, and it is unbroken chain in their family. So the one who doubted, who's kind of been given this label, clearly his faith grew to the point where he says, I'm all in, I am going. What have you done in your life that took a step-by-step discipline to accomplish? For some, maybe it was a weight loss or a health challenge. There's no easy fix, right? It takes more than a week. Step-by-step, change-by-change. Some of you, maybe you're marathon runners. You can't just run a marathon without preparation, without training. For some of you, it's school, year by year, day by day, assignment by assignment. I remember step-by-step waiting in my engagement with my wife. Oh, man, day by day, the preparation for our wedding day. The, the commonality in these processes that we walk through is that there is a belief in these processes and our steps that it is worth it. And so there's a commitment, a discipline to keep going, to persevere. So what about our faith? As we think about this, this belief that we have in Jesus and then this following of Jesus, the ways of Jesus in our life, what sustains us in that journey? Who's the person like holding the water cup on the race? What are the things in your life? Who are the people that God has placed there? What sustains our faith? Alex read in Hebrews chapter 12, but Hebrews chapter 1 actually opens up explaining who Jesus is. It says this, it says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. And here's the word. Sustaining 
all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Now, the idea of sustaining here isn't just of like maintaining something, although it includes that. It's not just holding something up, but it definitely includes that as well. But the, the picture of sustaining here is a continual moving forward. That there is a process in place that is being managed and driven and watched over and guarded. And so when it says that Jesus sustains all things, that's the imagery that we should have. He is providing what we need to continue on. It's actually really interesting. The Greek word for sustaining here is the same word that's used in Acts chapter 2 at the beginning of the church for a blowing wind. There's this idea of a movement that is happening, forward movement in what God is doing. So when it says that the word of God is sustaining all things, that comes with the idea that we are moving toward something. You ever think of faith that way? Oftentimes we think of faith as a static thing. I, I believed it, I received it, I'm good. I got my place, I, you know, every Sunday I come in and that's my spot in the pew. My Bible's got its spot on my, well, does it have a spot? I don't know. On my table, I, my faith is good. It's, it's in place just like so many other things in my life. But that's not the imagery of faith that we see in Scripture. And that's not Jesus' way that he's sustaining our faith. And so this is actually good news because it means that our faith is moving somewhere. It's not stagnant. And so we might ask the question, what are we moving toward? What are we moving toward? As our eyes are set on the object of our faith, we find ourselves becoming more like Jesus. That means more who we were created to be. The same spirit that was given to the church is working in us as well. Galatians chapter 5 talks about the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. This is the glory of God now being given to us that we would become like him. Over the centuries, followers of Jesus have tried to figure out the best way to sustain their faith. And oftentimes, they view it as a, as a type of protection. How can I protect my faith? How can I preserve my faith? How can I keep myself from being one uh, unstained in my faith? Some would also say, well, how can I keep it growing and moving forward? In the early days of the Christian community, there was a, a group of people that said, I know the best way to do it is I'm just going to withdraw from society. Like all the things that would take my, cause me to take my eyes off Jesus, I'm just going to avoid those things forever. Well, how do you do that? You have to go live in a cave. And they did. Called monasticism. Literally, there were people that withdrew from society and they became, uh, we could call them hermits. And they thought to themselves, it's just me and God. This is the only way. Well, eventually, those people get pretty weird if you withdraw from society. And so 
uh, to avoid this, they realize, okay, well, we, we are kind of created to be relational beings, and so we should probably have some sort of community. So then what they did was they found other people that wanted to withdraw from society, and they said, well, let's all hang, hang out together. And so then they started, monasticism turned into uh, like a monastic community. So you get all the weird people together <laughs> to live in the cave, right? Eventually they realized, well then, but then who's going to preach the gospel? Like if we're not engaged with culture and society, and we do see in Scripture we're supposed to tell people about Jesus. And so, okay, well, here's what we'll do. We'll stay in this kind of cloistered community, um, and we'll serve people outside the community. And so then you started to have monks and nuns and parishes. And you can see, though, right, what happens here. This desire to guard the faith and move forward eventually leads back to this Acts chapter 2 vision, which is we're to be in community and that we're to be sharing this faith with the world. That was God's design from the beginning. This was his intention. Again, in Hebrews, which says so much about this, we see in Hebrews chapter 10, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, right? Gotta hold on to your faith. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up, what? Meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you say, see the day approaching. And so we see early on in the church, there was this, ah, should we withdraw? And so there's this ex exhortation, like, no, you shouldn't. In fact, you need to be in community so that you can grow in your faith. Remember, the hope that we profess is based on the one who is faithful. He's with you. We have, I think today, we have these modern day monastics. We don't maybe go live in a cave, but now we're able to to kind of curate our, our religious experience based on what we want. And I think COVID actually pushed us even deeper into this, where we started to view our faith as an even more individual experience, because now I can, I can pick and choose the content I want to help me grow in my faith. I, I, I want to hear this preacher preach you know, that lives on the East Coast, and I want to hear this worship team that's based in the South. I can curate my own kind of faith worship experience. And then sometimes we do this even with our relationships. Well, I'm, I'm only going to have interactions and hang out with the people that I feel comfortable with, that kind of look like me and agree with me. Occasionally, I'll do some forays into the community to make myself feel like I'm accomplishing something. But for the most part, these modern-day monastics have curated their own kind of faith experience, trying to keep anything uncomfortable away. And there's a secular version of this as well, right? We see, we see the same version. We only associate with people that, that hold my values around politics or the environment or social causes. Occasionally, we'll go into to these, these other experiences, but not to develop long-term relationships. And a lot of this is a uniquely Western kind of mindset. It's focused on this individualism that's of utmost importance. But Jesus' design for the flourishing of our faith is that it would happen within a church, within a gathering that looks just like us.
Every Sunday, there are people that gather in this space. Remember, the building's not the church. The people are. That have different political ideologies. There are people that have different ethnic identities. There are people in this church whose native tongue is not English or Spanish or French. There are people that root for different sports teams in this building, (laughs) enjoy different foods. And yet when we come together, there is something special, something of heaven that is seen in this place. Look at Hebrews 10 again. Spur one another, meeting together, encouraging one another. This is key to the sustaining of our faith, you and me. I don't know about you, but when I get to hear people share, like we just did a moment ago, It builds my faith. It strengthens my faith. There's this uh, old Saturday Night Live character. This is absolutely going to date me. A guy named Stuart Smalley, if you're old enough to remember him. And Stuart Smalley would sit in front of a mirror, and he would say, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like me. And he would repeat that to himself over and over again. And these all may be true, but I'm going to let you know that telling them to yourself doesn't actually work. You need other people to say that to you. You need other people to call out who you are. Because when we look at ourselves in a mirror, we see a distortion. And it is in community that we can be pointed to what is good and right and true. And so the church is Jesus' plan A. It is sustained by the power of the Holy Spirit, and it is given to those who have put their faith in him. And so Jesus' design for the flourishing of our faith was that it would happen within the church. He gives it. He's the sustainer. He's the author and the perfecter. And he has chosen you and me to be part of the working out of our faith together. And I just want to say, I love our church family. I love that we can be real with each other, that I love uh, hearing the stories that come out of our community groups. If you're not part of a, of a discipleship kind of relationship, whether a community group or individual group, man, I would encourage you to do that. As we bump into each other, we encourage each other on towards faith. We become more who the people that God has intended us to be. And so as we remember what the church is all about today, we're going to end our time taking of the elements of communion. And so I want to pray for us towards that end. Lord, first, I just want to thank you. Thank you for your design. Thank you for the people that you've put in my life. They've asked me the tough questions. They're pointing me to what is true. 
that have lovingly corrected me, that have called out the gifts that you placed within me. Thank you. Thank you for your church. Thank you for your people, this gathering of people that are here unified by your grace. Oh, Father, that you love us. You've made that love known through Jesus. And so, God, as we take of the elements of communion today, we remember that love. Your body broken for us. Your blood poured out for us. You came into our space. The perfect representation of who you are. To reunite us with you. So we're here because of that, Lord. Would you grow our faith in the days ahead? Those things that hinder us, Lord, may we throw those off gladly. Run the race with perseverance. In Jesus' name we pray. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.com dot church.